What is up, everybody? Inskeep Sports and Entertainment is back, episode 88. Uh, took two weeks off, now I'm back. Uh, because college football is back, NFL football is back. It is a great time of year. Fall is almost here. The horrible heat's over. If you like the heat, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but we're starting off with Inskeep's four. Um, got two pitchers from Major League Baseball, obviously. Canadian football cornerback from the Toronto Argonauts. And then a pro wrestler, first female. For ends keeps four so far. So getting into it, we'll start off with pro wrestling. Bailey returned at SummerSlam. She is a very prominent uh, women's wrestler in the uh, on the Raw brand right now. One of the best in the modern era, in my opinion. Uh, pinned Bianca Belair in a six-man tag match or six-woman tag match to open up yesterday's pay-per-view Clash at the Castle. I have that review coming up later of that of that event or premium live event they call them now. Because it's on Peacock, it's not really pay-per-view, it's all streaming now. Um, but anyways, she is the pro wrestler of the week. She did pin Bianca Belair, like I said, the Raw Women's Champion. She has not been pinned or defeated on a pay-per-view this calendar year. Or as far back as I can remember, sometime last year. I think since last year's SummerSlam. So it's been quite a bit for Bianca. Um, great, congratulations to Bailey. Um, for Canadian football, not the NFL yet, um, from the Toronto Argonauts, cornerback Jamal Peters, three interceptions and a pick six to go along with that. For Major League Baseball, from the Seattle Mariners, Robbie Ray, 10 innings pitched this week, this week, or these past seven days, zero earned run average. And then Dylan Cease, from the Chicago White Sox, 17 innings played. Almost a no-hitter last night. Almost no-hitter last night. It was broken up in the ninth inning. Congratulations to Dylan Cease, Robbie Ray, Jamal Peters, and Bailey for making Inkscape's four best of the week. So I had a had an idea about a rant. I haven't had a good old-fashioned rant in a bit about dynasties, great franchises over the years. Whether it's college, Nebraska Cornhuskers, Texas Longhorns, Alabama football. Um, or basketball, the Los Angeles Lakers, Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors, football, you could say Dallas Cowboys, Pittsburgh Steelers, San Francisco 49ers, New England Patriots. And what motivated me was watching Week Zero, Casey Thompson and the Cornhuskers. First off, Casey Thompson looks incredibly talented. He's got an arm. He had a play against Northwestern last week. I didn't watch the Nebraska game this week. Um, but he's got an arm. Made an incredible play. He's rolling out to his left. Kind of backs up, backs up. He's about to be sacked. Sets his feet, squares up his body, and then completes a, what, 30-yard pass for a first down. That was an incredible play. But looking at the Nebraska Cornhuskers as a whole, when was the last time they were even competitive? Was it the late 90s, 98, 99, early 2000s? I was too young for that. I was two years old, almost four years, uh, two to four years old around that time. Not that I didn't know how old I was. I was talking about the time frame. They were about to win week zero in Ireland, North Nebraska versus Northwestern. And when they're ahead by two touchdowns, Scott Frost in the fourth quarter trying to Keep the momentum on his side. Goes for a poorly performed onside kick. Northwestern gets the ball back. They proceed to score another 14 points or on another two possessions, and they win the game, 31 to 28. 
Scott Frost has, what, 15 wins in the past five years? Last time Nebraska had five wins was, I think, Scott Frost's first year. I don't even think they've had... They haven't even been bull eligible in I don't know how long. And it's kind of got me thinking, looking at all these great dynasties, except excluding the Golden State Warriors, Alabama, and maybe the New England Patriots. All the New England Patriots the past couple years have been pretty bad. And Bill Belichick looks like he's losing his mind. There was a point in time where it didn't matter who he had in his organization, as long as he can trust with them and as long as he can work with them, as long as it was the best fit possible for the Patriots to win a championship. Now it's people who he likes, like Matt Patricia, and people he can trust like his own son. Nothing against his own son. Matt Patricia? A defensive coordinator? Really? And now you're going to be the one calling plays? You don't know who's going to call plays. You don't have an exact person who's going to call No one knows who's going to call plays. You th- sure that's smart with Mac Jones, sophomore sophomore quarterback this year? Second year starting quarterback? So sophomore year, technically. Golden State Warriors still kind of in the middle of a dynasty. They did take a couple years off where they were just not good, but I, I can consider it. They have four championships in seven or eight years. What was 2015, 2016, 2018. They lost in 2019. And then again in 2022. So yeah, I would say they, they're still a dynasty. They did have two horrendous seasons in a row due to injury, but they look like they're fully back now. Let's get into the Dallas Cowboys. They won what? Two? Two championships in the 70s? Three in the 90s? Haven't been good since. Okay, they've been good since. They've had some good years. They've had some years where I thought they were going to win the Super Bowl. Last year, I thought they were going to be world beaters. I didn't think they were going to win the Super Bowl. I knew Mike Carthy was going to hold them back at some point. I just didn't think it was going to happen in the wild card round. I thought maybe they'd get to the divisional round, NFC Championship, maybe the Super Bowl. Then Mike McCarthy does what Mike McCarthy does best and screws it up. And then you can say, oh, well, the players committing all these penalties. Dak Prescott having a major um, awareness issue on the last play of the game. Maybe that is. But that also falls on the head coach on having his team prepared and ready to go and mentally ready. And that's been the case with Mike McCarthy. None of his teams are ready to go or mentally prepared. How about the San Francisco 49ers? How long has it been a quest for six? Since Steve Young? They had Alex Smith. They had Colin Kaepernick. Couldn't do anything with those two. I know Colin Kaepernick fell off. I know Alex Smith got hurt. But say against the Baltimore Ravens in 2012, nothing against Colin Kaepernick and his talent at the time. But Alex Smith would have been far more ready for that team. Would have been far more prepared. He had more experience. That way when the lights went out, the 49ers wouldn't be able to blame, uh, to use that as the, uh, their, for their comeback. It, would, it probably wouldn't have been that bad with Alex. Alex would have been more level-headed. He wouldn't have been so trigger-happy. I don't know, maybe he would have, but he had more professional experience than Colin Kaepernick did. Then against the Chiefs, 2019, Super Bowl. They're ahead 20 to 10, and Kyle Shanahan keeps wanting to pass and keeps putting the ball in back of Patrick Mahomes' hands. And that Chiefs defense is ready to just wallop Jimmy Garoppolo, force him to make bad throws or hurry throws. It's my favorite. Game involving the 49ers, by the way. 
no reason necessary. How about the Los Angeles Lakers? Magic Johnson era. Shaq and Kobe era. Paul Gasol and Kobe era. era. LeBron era. No, that doesn't count. That bubble, Disney bubble ring doesn't count. Sure, congratulations to him, but that doesn't count. They are abysmal. They are such, they are a laughingstock of the NBA. And now you got Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook on the same team. That'll go over well, won't it? How about the Boston Celtics? What have they done? Except for their eight rings in a row. That record. I wonder if that record will ever be broken. I doubt it. But Or the Big Three, 2008. Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. What have they done since then? Nothing. They've looked good, but nothing. What about the Steelers with Mike Tomlin? They won a Super Bowl for sure. They haven't had a losing record under him. But is that really the goal? Yes, I would much rather my team be 500 or better every year. But if it gets to a point where 10 years in a row, not 10 years in a row, but you get, I'm using an example. 10 years in a row where they're 500 and that's it. No losing record, no winning record, no up or down. If there's a year where my team has to take a bit of a step back to move two, two or three steps forward, I'm all for it. And the Steelers, they might have lucked out with that because they have Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett to choose from. I think Mitch Trubisky is a solid player. I think Kenny Pickett will be a great player. Great might be pushing it, but they'll be good. Either or, they're good. Just don't start Mason Rudolph. Then obviously I already talked about the Cornhuskers and the Warriors and the Longhorns. Well, no, I didn't talk about the Longhorns. You know they've sucked as bad since Nebraska, as long as Nebraska. Not not as long as not as long of a drought, and Texas is more competitive here and there lately, at least in this century. Obviously, they've won a championship against USC. How about the New York Yankees, the most notorious franchise, great dynasty, great franchise, great dynasties. They've won twenty. They've won twenty-seven World Series. I mean, that's the closest team in North American sports is at twenty-four. That's a hockey team up in Canada, the NHL. Don't remember which one it is exactly, so don't quote me on that. But how many have they won in the modern era? Nine. They won almost half of those in the 90s. They've won two in the 21st century. Their pitching has been abysmal the past 10 years. I mean, when you have WWE making jokes about you, and I love pro wrestling, when you have WWE making jokes about you in reference to a Dominic Mysterio, Rey Mysterio, and Edge little um, beef segment, so to speak, I don't know how to say it, uh, Fallout, and when Michael Cole goes on to goes on to say, the Mysterio family is falling apart wor- uh, faster than the New York Yankees. This is the worst record for them after the All Star break since 1991. They just had the worst month of baseball since September 1991. There's a possibility they don't win five games in September because their pitching is so bad, they are so beat up, and their offense is so bad. And Aaron Boone is losing it almost every day. 
I like Aaron Boone. I hope it doesn't cost him his job. I'm not a Yankees fan. I just like Aaron Boone. I hope these injuries and this franchise's inability to grow a pitching staff. You had Mariano Rivera nine years ago. You had CC Sabathia before he cut weight. You had Tanaka for a year. You had Aralis Chapman after he fell off and nearly cost the Cubs their World Series, their first one in 108 years. There was no point to this. I just kind of wanted to go over all of this and just kind of interesting to see how the tide has definitely changed, has turned the past five years or so in sports in terms of great franchises and dynasties. Yes, these, these, these franchises still have their years or their moments. But not, not, not same old, same old. The Warriors, possible dynasty. No, it is a dynasty. Alabama, it is a and Alabama was always a prominent figure in college football, just not like they are today. So there's the Warriors in basketball. Who's next in baseball? I don't think so. I don't think in baseball at all, especially not in football. It's very hard to win a Super Bowl. Very hard to let alone get there. I still think the Chiefs could do it. I don't think they're going to win one this year. But I still think they can do it. Say they win Super Bowl 58 and Super Bowl 61. And then Super Bowl 62. I'm just, I'm just spitballing. That's what, four Super Bowls in eight years? Almost as much as the Warriors in the, across this time span? Then okay, maybe. And I'm just spitballing. I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be the NFC West. Breakdown, I have my college football week one reaction, and then my class to casual reaction. And then this week, again, the NFL tiers are back. And my predictions for each game, college football, NFL uh, football, and Enskeeps 4 is back. Please stay tuned. Thank you. Okay, last team to break down before the season starts. Starting off, well, starting off. Finishing off with the NFC West. I've got the Seattle Seahawks. Um, does anyone watch superhero movies? Remember Spider-Man 2? No, Spider-Man 1. When J. Jonah Jameson was looking at Peter's uh, pictures of Spider-Man saying, Crap, crap, mega crap, all crap. That's what I think of the Seattle Seahawks. Head coach, crap. Quarterback, crap. Offensive line, crap. Defense, defense, mega crap. Running game, not so bad. Receiving core, not not too shabby. I like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And you know, I shouldn't say they're all crap, but that that's that has five wins written all over it. Arizona Cardinals are Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray really that talented? 
or do they just always start off hot and just fall under pressure? Does Kyler Murray really fall off when the new Call of Duty game comes out every October? Or every November? I don't think I'll do it anymore, I don't remember. Uh, the 49ers, is Trey Lance that good, or is it going to be Jimmy G time again by week three? And the Los Angeles Rams, I could legitimately see them, legitimately see them repeating, depending on Matthew Stafford's elbow. Sounds like it won't be that serious, but we'll see. The receiving core is even stronger, in my opinion. Running game, Cam Akers is back. Defense still as great as ever. Sean McVay, a freaking genius as an offensive type coach. I think the Rams won that division. 49ers are a close second. Cardinals are third. And Seahawks are in fifth with um, a random team being in fourth. Because, you know, I'm just doing that just because. <laughs> Anyways, for the NFC West, it'll be Rams, 49ers, Cardinals, and Seahawks. reviewing Clash of the Castle. It was in Cardiff, Wales. I guess it was the first um, pay-per-view in almost exactly 30 years since the last one in London. Uh, now they're called Premium Live Events because they're streaming on Peacock, but I think I already mentioned that. Um, first one in 30 years in, 90, in 1992 between the uh, SummerSlam, the main event was British Bulldog versus Brett the Hitman Hart. But uh, this one, there were six matches, about three hours long. It was on at noon, so that was a bit of a difference. Um, first match was between Damage Control. That's Bailey, Io Sky, and Dakota Kai. Versus the Raw Women's Champion, Bianca Belair. Alexa Bliss is one of my favorite female wrestlers right now. And Asuka, again, another one of my favorites. Um, great match from start to finish. I feel like every match on this card was 20 minutes or longer, which is always nice. A lot of the pay-per-views are kind of overloaded, and some of the matches are 30 minutes long. The other one is three minutes. Another one is three minutes long, which is what I don't understand. Um, but great match from start to finish. I think Bailey, uh, Bailey, and Damage Control picking up the win is good. Make them very make them a prominent factor. I actually believe yeah, somehow down the line. They're going to be like a the uh, women's version of the bloodline, so to speak. Um, just not everybody in the group is related, quote unquote. And become and uh, end up holding all the gold. I really think Bailey will become the Raw Women's Champ, and then Isle Sky and Dakota Kai will end up eventually becoming the um, uh, women's tag team champions. Although Raquel Rodriguez and Aaliyah did win those this past Monday Night in Raw, but there are reports of Sasha Banks and Naomi coming back, and it looks like they will face off against Raquel Rodriguez and Ali at one point, but that's not part of Clash of the Castle. Second match. Again, another banger. Probably the best pay-per-view of this year. Even WrestleMania, in my opinion.
Anyways, the second match was Intercontinental Championship, Gunther versus Sheamus. Gunther versus Sheamus. And if you want something that's similar to like a heavyweight fight in boxing or UFC, that would be the match to watch. Again, I know it's fake. You can't compare it to a real sport, a real combat sport. But it was just very brutal from start to finish, in my opinion, just from at the spots, the storytelling, quote unquote. Um, gr great match. Probably one of the greatest matches in Intercontinental Championship history. Um, Gunther did win, and Sheamus did get a standing ovation, being where they were at. Next up was the SmackDown Women's Championship. Um, my favorite woman wrestler right now, Liv Morgan versus Shayna Baszler, used to be in the UFC, um, MMA, uh, trained MMA, all that, uh, friends with Ronda Rousey. And Liv Morgan was kind of booked, quote-unquote, as kind of a weed champion, and not a very good champion, but this match was a very clean finish. I believe Liv Morgan can be a champion, believe her on the microphone, I always say with my wrestlers, um, why I watch it, if I can see them on a TV show. Or I can picture them in some sort of sporting event. They're a great wrestler. What I mean by that is they have the charisma and they have crazy athletic ability. And Liv Morgan has all of that. Congratulations to her. She definitely deserved that. I give that match probably a C or a B. Next match, Edge and Rey Mysterio versus The Judgment Day, Finn Balor and Damian Priest. Edge and Rey Mysterio did get the win. That's what happened after that really interested me. Um, Dominic Mysterio's son turned on, so turned heel turned on Edge by kicking him where it counts and then clotheslined Rey Mysterio which if you go back and look at all the betrayals on Rey Mysterio, he's probably sick of it by now. Eddie Guerrero did that back in 2005. Batista did that back in 2009, 2010 somewhere around there and no, not 2010 Batista retired in 2010, it was 2008 sorry, bragging rights and then Dominic, Dominic Mysterio did that last night what do I think is going to happen? I am very excited for Dominic Mysterio. I like him in the ring. He is not very charismatic. He's very green, which in wrestling terms, that's the exact opposite. If they say green, that means they're not red. They're not ready to go. I don't know why, but uh, they're, they're ready to go. And he's very green on the microphone, very green in the ring, very athletic, a lot like his dad, but still just got some stuff to learn. So I hope him turning heel on them kind of turns into a little bit of rivalry. Rivalry. Yeah, with Edge and Mysterio, and maybe it ends that Survivor Series, then Dominic Mysterio can go away for a couple months and come back to Royal Rumble, maybe trained up and ready to go. I'd like to see him bulk up a little bit. He seems very scrawny. Um, I don't mean to say that in a negative uh, negative sense, but it just if you're watching something like wrestling, you want to believe it. It's kind of like when you watch a sporting event and see a team upset another team, like when uh, there's a team from... Uh, like in March Madness, when you see a 16 seed beat a 1 seed. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Well, in wrestling, you want to sort of believe it because it's scripted. It's booked. Next up, the match is between Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle. And I got to make a point here. So, it's a, Monday Night Raw, Friday Night Smackdown, all that is obviously a TV show. It's not a sporting event. Um, You can kind of look at it as both. Like, kind of one of the same. You can kind of look at, like, the uh, stepchild of sports or TV shows or movies, whatever. But... It's obviously a TV PG rating. And honestly, even if you turn on a football game, it's going to be a TV PG rating because it's still on a television. It's still a program on the show. It's just one's scripted, one's not. Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe the NFL is scripted. <laughs> um, anyways. It's, there's a TV PG rating for wrestling ever since the Benoit incident. Ever since uh, late 2008, early 2009, they became PG. And it's been very watered down. Not a lot of blood. 
or fake blood, whatever, or blading. They usually use blading. Wrestlers would kind of very little, very uh, deliberately, very subtly cut themselves like on their forehead or their arm, and just a little cut, a little nick to where it would bleed, and would kind of come out. But they they knew how to do it. They knew where to do it. They were trained on that, which is weird. Um, but they they took that out. They took chair shots to the head out for safety reasons because it was because of the Crispin Wall incident. And they've toned down the cursing and stuff like that, more of a family environment, more of a kid environment. Um, there's been some moments over the years where it's like, I don't know if kids should see that. Well, lately, there's been talks of them going back to TV 14, and I'm going into my next match here in a second. There's been talks of them going back into TV 14. Has it happened yet? I don't think it will. But Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle, which Matt Riddle used to be in the UFC as well. He had like a record of 10 and 9. Him and Dana White do not like each other. I'm sure you can assume why I'm saying how Matt Riddle acts, but I like Matt Riddle and I like Dana White. Anyways, Seth Rollins and Matt Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle have been kind of doing this program for about a month and a half now. This real beef with each other, and um, at the end of this segment before this this Saturday, the final build up between their match had them having separate rooms because they keep brawling, and Matt Riddle um, says before the segment ends, he's like, "Hey, Seth Rollins." You're obviously not the man. That's why you have. That's why you're married to Becky Lynch. Her nickname's the man. And then it clips out, and Seth Rollins isn't happy. He's like, "Hey, hey, Riddle, are you still there?" And Matt's like, "Yeah, I'm here." And Rollins says, "Let's talk about your family." Oh wait, you don't got one because your wife took your kids and they left your bitch ass again. Excuse my French. Um, that kind of came out of nowhere because you're not used to them talking like that on TV of TV PG rating. Yes, yeah, some things will kind of come out in there, but. The way they were kind of cussing at each other and stuff. It was like, are they going to go back to TV 14? Anyways, the match was perfect. Rollins did finally get the win. He has not had a single pay-per-view win since Hell in a Cell of 2021, last fall. So that was well-deserved for Rollins. Great rivalry. The next one is Extreme Rules. Look up the promo for that, the hype video for Extreme Rules. Anyways, on to the championship match. Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns. So, Drew McIntyre has been one of my wrestlers of the week before. And he debuted in 2010. To kind of lay the groundwork for you, he came out to this song called Broken Dreams. Look it up. Just type, go on to YouTube, Broken Dreams, uh, Jim Johnston, or uh, Drew McIntyre, whatever. Great song. I don't know who the band is that wrote it. Um, but it was a very good song. Anyway, Drew McIntyre debuted in 2010. I loved his entering work. I loved his theme music. I loved his mic work. He was billed as the chosen one with Vince McMahon introducing him on SmackDown, and it didn't work out. He was cut. He was sent to the Indies. Anyways, he's back. I think I already gave you guys that whole spiel. But anyways, he came out to Broken Dreams for a montage, then came out to his music now. His music now is okay, but it's not Broken Dreams. And his gimmick is okay, but again, it's not what it used to be. And I just got to tell you, that match had me out of my seat, on the edge of my seat. So many close pinfalls. But the end, Roman Reigns won. But to kind of give you an idea on pro wrestling as a whole right now, Roman Reigns has been getting help from the bloodline. And what I mean by bloodline, he calls himself the tribal chief, the head of the table of his family, um, the family tree of the Rock, Rikishi, the Iron Sheik, all those guys, uh, Rocky Maivia, his father, I believe. And then the Usos, Jimmy and Jay Uso. And then there's Roman Reigns. It's not his real name. I think his real name is Joe Annoy? Annoy? I, I, I can't say it right.
Anyways, the Usos weren't there. His advocate, Paul Heyman, um, he was on my uh, coaches and managers uh, in Skeeps 4 segment. And he was not on there. Because he was injured at SummerSlam, Brock Lesnar threw him through a table. <laughs> and the Usos were not there because they were in London. The Usos did not travel. Or maybe they were backstage, I don't know. But there was someone from NXT who was pulled from future NXT tapings a few weeks ago. So people were wondering what's going on, what's going on. His name was Solo Sequoia. I can't say it. I totally burst that. I'm sorry. I don't know if this is, again, I don't know if that's his real name or his his wrestling name. But go ahead and look it up. But it's Solo and then S-I-K-O-A. Anyways, he debuted. Drew McIntyre's about to win. Uh, referee's about to count to three. Solo pulls him, out, pulls him out of the ring. And he reveals himself, and Drew McIntyre tries to attack him. Solo kind of gives him, like, kind of a little uppercut, so to speak, off the ropes. Roman Reigns spears him, and then count one, two, three. Roman Reigns retains. Great finish. Overall pay-per-view, I'd say it's an A. I wish Drew McIntyre would have won. He's probably my favorite wrestler outside of my favorite three, Undertaker, The Rock, Cena. And then it's Drew McIntyre, in my opinion. He's great on the microphone. He's great in the ring. Very entertaining. But that's Clash of the Castle for you. Again, if you're not a wrestling fan, you can watch it as a TV show. You can watch it as a sporting event. But I'm toning down the wrestling talk now that football is officially here. Um, it'll mainly be for pay-per-views and my Enscape Sports segment. And then next summer, it'll probably be wrestling again almost every episode. So we'll talk about that again till fully till Extreme Rules. So next October. So. Non-wrestling fans out there, I'm sure you're glad to hear that. So let's get into college football week one. First off, I want to get into my favorite team. College, uh, college football. My favorite team is college football. <laughs> um, Kansas State. So Kansas State under Chris Kleinman. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Chris Kleinman? I know it's Kleinman. What's his first name, Chris? Coach Kleinman. I always, I, I always call my favorite coaches, coach, whatever, last name, Coach Belichick, Coach Kleinman, Coach Reed. Actually, I call Andy Reid Big Red. Um, anyways, Kansas State, they faced South Dakota last night. And per usual, the defense looks really good. They changed up the defense a little bit. I believe it's our first year with Colin Klein as offensive coordinator. Um, he was a passing game coordinator, I believe, or the quarterback's coach last year and the year prior. But he's now the offensive coordinator. Colin Klein, great player. Loves watching him play for us. Um, those, those last, in 2012, 2013, 2014, I believe, or 2011, 2013 through 2013. And then now we have Adrian Martinez out of Nebraska. But just to kind of give you an idea here, three sacks, completion per attempt, 11 for 15, 53 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Okay. Deuce Vaughn rushing, 18, uh, 18 attempts, 126 yards, one touchdown. Malik Knowles, one attempt, 75 yards, one touchdown. Looking at their defense. Defense played great, running game played great, but the passing game is lackluster. And all the announcers were saying, I don't know if it's because it was a Big 12 network on ESPN Plus saying, well, South Dakota's defense is really good. I don't care. South Dakota is almost a Division II team. They're an FCS team. This Big 12 team cannot be struggling that much against South Dakota in the passing game, especially with Adrian Martinez, who was a four-star quarterback who had 28 touchdowns last year to only 10 interceptions. 
most of those, it was half and half. It was 14 touchdowns to when there's only 10 games a year, that's one touchdown a game. And you're in the Big Ten, so I, I, I kind of give him some leeway there. Nebraska's not that great. Scott Frost is not a great head coach. Again, I give him some leeway. Transferred to Kansas State for a reason. They've been average, so to speak. This past, these past few years under Kleiman, they've been bull eligible every year. But you can't throw 50 yards against South Dakota. For the love of God, I don't know why Kansas State is favored against Missouri next year, but if they can't figure out their passing game, that's the only win they're going to have. You can't ride on a defense and a rushing game in college football. This is not the NFL. This is not Bill Belichick versus Josh Allen and the Bills in 60-mile-per-hour wins or stronger at Gillette Stadium and run the ball 50 times a game. Okay, against South Dakota, it's going to work. Hey, maybe against Missouri, it works. Where are they facing week three? Let's see who they're facing week three. Hey, maybe they do start off 3-0 like they do every year under Kleiman. Tulane. I think they're facing Tulane. Saturday, September 17th, 2 on ESPN+. Plus. Next week's on ESPN2 against Missouri. Again, Kansas State is favored by 7.5. And, and really, they should not be. They should be the underdog. They have no passing game whatsoever. Maybe South Dakota's defense was that good, and it was Adrian Gonzalez's first time and Colin Klein's first time with the offense. Maybe that's just what it was, or they had a game plan where they can just run the ball. Maybe that's what it was. But that was not fun to watch yesterday. Yes, they won 34-0. That was not fun. As a fan, in general, Kansas State will not be good at all this year if that's the case. I'm going through the rest of the big games. That made me mad, as you can tell. Kansas State, get your passing game together. It's going to be a long season. Uh, Brent Venables had his debut with the Sooners. They win 45-13 to 13 versus UTEP. Not much to say there. I just kind of wanted to point that out. Sorry, I had another way I was going with that, but I didn't have it. So let's just go over the top 25 like I wanted to. Uh, Alabama. You know how Nick Saban was kind of going off this week about something about poison, rat poison? I, I don't remember. How his team was favored by so much and he didn't want to hear it. Well, they won 55 to 0. So I hope he's okay. I'm Ohio State and Notre Dame went exactly how I was gonna, thought I was going to go. Very defensive, very sluggish. Notre Dame, not known for a great offense. Ohio State, again, not known for a great offense. Final score 21 to 10. Exactly how I thought I was going to go. Thought Ohio State was going to win by a bit more and I thought it was going to be kind of close for the most part, which it was. I know Ohio State in the second half just kind of outscored them 14 to nothing. Florida looks like they're kind of making a comeback, upsetting Utah 29 to 26. But if you want a reason as to why I love college football and love football so much, go look up North Carolina and Appalachian State. Bad game. Appalachian, not Appalachian, yeah, Appalachian State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. They lost 63-61. to 61. 
they failed two point conversions. Failed two attempts at a two point conversion in in their final drives in the fourth quarter. The game would have gone on overtime. Matt Brown's sure happy. North Carolina's two and zero. And that's all I got for you guys. Not a great, not a big week one pre- preview, but this week, Kansas State, Missouri, Alabama, and Texas. I hope that's. I hope it's a great game. I'm trying to be unbiased here. I'm just playing. Anyway, that's all I have for you guys today. It is Inkscape Sports Entertainment episode eighty-eight. Thank you. <laughs>